Welcome to another episode of the Autism Podcast. Today, we're delighted to have on the line Tess Eagle-Swan. Thanks for joining the podcast, Tess. It's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. The pleasure is ours. Uh, And of course, as always, we have our co-host, James Gordon. How are you doing, James, today? Hi there. Very excited for this one. Been waiting a little while, so (laughs) brilliant. So yeah, today we're going to be talking about Tess's uh, incredible sort of experiences when it's come to um, service animals and their role in the assistance of uh, autistic people and the relationship between autistic people and uh, animals, particularly service dogs. And also, of course, your lovely dog, Kratu, that um, I've seen a a couple of videos on, uh, including a video of him uh, on Crufts, which is really uh, which is really fun to watch obviously this is a really important topic you know the uh, kind of the impact and relationship between animals and particular service dogs uh, with autistic people and it's something that we haven't actually covered on this podcast previously before and I'm sure a lot of listeners are going to be really interested to learn a little bit more about it Um, and they may of course also relate to some of the things uh, that we're going to talk about so I'm really really excited Uh, but of course as usual we're going to start off with just hearing a little bit more about um, your background, Tess, if that's all right. And if you wouldn't mind just telling us a little bit about, yeah, I suppose your journey into uh, the world of autism, so to speak, and uh, how it is you came to get your diagnosis. Um, Okay. So as a child, I I was very, um, very shut off from people. I preferred animals and um, I could communicate more better with trees and stones and be in nature and I was given a pony when I was I think about 10 years old and that was my first sense of really being understood and and proper communication um I felt very distant from family and friends um I preferred my own being inside my own head and I read a lot I I couldn't read enough I I read so many books and it was all about myths and mythology and folklore. And um, I mean, I remember the Narnia ones. I always wanted to go into the wardrobe and come out in Narnia. And it would be so wonderful to be in a place where you could be understood. So then complications started when I became adolescent. I couldn't understand emotions. My dad was dying of cancer and I went off the rails. It just got too much. and. Drugs, the chemical embrace of drugs were, it was a better place to be than present in in the normal world. In reality, I couldn't cope with it. I was just overwhelmed, flooded, terrified, triggered. Um, It was too much. I, I didn't want to be here. I did try and commit suicide a few times. But there was something inside, and I think it was, that relationship I'd had with Casper, that was something so special. And there was this little ember of love and being understood and something tiny in me that was beautiful. And all the abuse I went through, all the drugs, all the violence, rape, everything I've, I've survived, it couldn't touch that. And we always have people talk about the inner child. Well, she went away. I, I hid her and I became a very hard, cold person. And I quite liked it. You know, it's, I was detached. Um, I copied other people in, in a not very nice world. And 
I survived and I didn't just survive, but I survived very well. Um, I walked away from heroin and not many people can do that, but I changed my mind. It's, it's quite interesting. Then I got hep C and I thought, right, well, I need to know about healing because one thing I've always had is this belief I can do anything I want to do. I don't have limitations. I believe that if this is what I want, I will do it. Not I might be able to, but I will do it. So I started looking into healing and energy workshops. And every time I went to one, I found I could do it. It was, I can do that. I've always been able to do that. And people were paying to go into trances, shamanic trances. And I've always been able to switch off and go into other realities. And um, it was it was an interesting world. Still not particularly liked by people because I had these abilities and I've always done things on my own. I don't have groups of friends to do things with. If I want to do it, I'll go and do it. And there's always that fear, but you have to face fear and overcome it. And um, I ended up in Peru, uh, ended up in the jungle, and I learned a lot about spirituality. Um, It's another corrupt place where there's abuse, and I seem to find um, all these dens of iniquity wherever I go, but there was a lot of drug abuse and sexual abuse and so my eyes were opening to different different ways of the world and it's just people like to take advantage and I think I've been incredibly naive throughout my life. People have taken a lot of advantage of me and that's been very hard but I'm not going to hate people because I've been hurt by people and I think that's one of my biggest life lessons is to forgive to take responsibility for who I am, for the things that happened to me. I don't hate them. I do a practice called Huponopono. I do a Toltec one, recapitulation. I let go. They were the they were the worst, harshest, cruelest teachers you could ever imagine, but they were the biggest teachers as well. Then I fell into dog rescue. And um, that's another world of corruption. It's, oh, my goodness. So I'm learning about the world and that greed is is a big motivator. There's not so much kindness and compassion, whether it's people or animals. And um, we have to make choices and try and find out the right people. And with some of the things I learned, it was about how to change my perception. Because to start with, I did have a perception of hatred and anger, really full on. And that just burns you up. That's not a way to be. It's it's a terrible way to be. And I couldn't continue like that. It was an energy, such a heavy energy. It was it was too much. It was all consuming. That particularly and, during your uh, adolescent period of your life? Oh, or? yes, yes. Yeah. And then it got worse. And then the coldness and the detachment came. And um, I've always wanted to find out I always said I was the circuit board, but the light didn't come on. So where where was the missing bit? And I've ref- got referred so many times in the mental health system, borderline personality. Then it was I watched something about ADHD and that ticked boxes. And 
I lived in South London and I got referred to the Maudsley where there was a very good ADHD consultant. And yes, I was ADHD as well. And it had been mentioned to me about autism, but I knew nothing about it. And it was a bit ooh, high functioning, low functioning. What age was this, sorry, in the test? Oh, this was 30s to 40s. And, and, and just to give a context to the uh, listeners, I mean, how long ago was was that? Just so oh, I'm 54. No, I'm not. Okay. I was diagnosed at 54. So I'm 58 now. And I just thought this isn't really me. Um, and I wanted to find out more. Uh, th- so the more I chose to look into this like change of perception and things and the Toltec path and focusing on what I wanted rather than being consumed with the hatred, that that did help. But love was the one thing I couldn't understand, love with people. Relationships didn't work. Um, hated being touched. I mean, somebody sitting next to me, I'd be twitching and flicking and and moving. And the only way would be um, drugs and alcohol to, to sleep with somebody, really. it's um, I'm not sure I, I, I ever could again. It's one of those things. But touch is a very big thing for me because I am a survivor of rape. So now with the the knowledge I have now, it's something I need to explore myself. And um, maybe I will, maybe I won't. It's not on my to-do list at the moment because I'm actually very happy um, and peaceful as I am. Just a few questions, if you don't mind, from from that uh, test, just to sort of explore it a little bit. Uh, just to first say, wow, what a life you've had. I mean, it's just mind-blowing and quite upsetting, really, to be honest with you, to hear, you know, the experiences that, that you've had, um, but, st- but also quite inspirational in, a, in another uh, sort of way, you know, on the other side of the emotional spectrum, you know, amazed at how, you know, you survived it. You know, it sounds like you survived a lot of it, a lot of it on your own. And, uh, you know, that's just an incredible, that's just an incredible thing. I just, so I don't want to sort of gloss over the, the sort of incredulity of your, your life, really. I mean, it's absolutely uh, incredible. And now that you're, you know, you're 58 and you're, you found peace and happiness, you say, which is, you know, what, what a fantastic, you know, position to be in, despite all of the adversity that you've, and trauma that you've experienced. I just wanted to sort of say that uh, first. If I might just quickly rewind, I'm sure James has got some questions as well, because there's just so much there. I'm curious, Tess, why do you think so many people, particularly autistic people like yourself, have such a fantastic, therapeutic, almost spiritual connection sometimes with uh, animals, including, you know, your pony and, and the horses? I think with horses, I, I had a very strong feeling of it's no pressure And I think there's a lot of pressure to communicate. I know that I can be very quiet. I I can also overshare terribly, which it's always one or the other. But animals tend to just be, they're more in the moment. Humans have more conditions about communication. And, you know, it's uh, people asking questions. It's okay. It's about consent and boundaries for me. I'm happy to ask questions, and if I don't want to, I won't. But even just somebody saying, are you okay? No, I'm not okay. 
don't ask me. That can be really, I hate it at the supermarket when they go, how are you? Shit, I'm shit, really shit today. Don't ask. And yes, I do say that because I just don't want it. And then I think, oh, uh, love and light, test, love and light. But it's like, you really don't want to know. Don't ask me. Ask me another question. People don't want to know how you are. So why say it? I don't understand that. Animals don't do that. They just accept you. Right, right. Do you, do you feel that when it comes to people that the 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 prompt to ask how you are is, is sometimes not sincere you know it's something that yeah, they've just been asked they don't absolutely. care mm. it's, it's not sincere and it's pointless and um, sometimes I, I I am quite naughty so I, I, I deliberately list lots of things and I look at them and their eyes sort of opening and I go well you did ask <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's the thing about animals isn't it you know there is no pretext there's no, no. you know there's it's complete sincerity isn't it it's complete yes. honesty Yes, it's uh, innocence and honesty and purity. And, um, you know, it's they engage because they want to. And it's it's just beautiful. It's natural. It's very, very natural. There's nothing forced. Yeah, it's interesting. It's an interesting sort of lesson, isn't it, for for just, you know, society, I suppose, you know, that what we need more of is sincerity, you know, and truthfulness, not just the. The, the know-how to ask how are you but actually for that to be underpinned with actually you do really care but that's that's so hard isn't it because we're not socialized to to think like that are we we're not you know I suppose when I was a child I don't remember being taught that in school or or being sort of directed in that way you know I suppose I just got that instinctively naturally to some extent from my from my family as well my culture yes but yes. Yeah, it's a bit. It's too much of a lottery at the moment. But we're, with um, with animals, it's just that's just not not the case. So yeah, I, I uh, totally must, see what you're saying. We must give that care back to animals, and this is something I need to also know when Kratu doesn't want to engage. And sometimes I get a camera out. He's a social media superstar. We won the daily mirror people's best award and he looks at me and he gives a signal he's not comfortable with it so I don't ask him and this is a lot of um what I see with people's pets um is people go I love hugging my dog hugging is a human emotional need not an animal's and actually most animals don't enjoy it, dogs. And people go, my dog loves it. Well, I'll challenge you on that. How much do you know about dog body language? Um, and it's there's other ways of, of touch. And, but that actual hugging thing, dogs don't really like that. There's very few dogs that actually like it. Kratu signals for me to hug him. And I'm not a hugger. He's the only huggy soul in the world that I like hugging but he lies on his side and I say do you want to cuddle and he lifts up his paw and he invites me to put my head on his chest and he has chosen to do that and then he puts his paw on my head and I can rock I like rocking and I like whistling and I like shrieking and he shrieks with me and we're actually pitch perfect 
And it's amazing. So, I mean, we really are identical noises and pitches. And one is a human and one is a dog. And we're making the same noise at the same time. And I love it. It brings me great joy. Um, people say that you can't be a dog or a dog can't be a human. You're wrong. At that moment, we are just one. We are just connected. We're united. We've There's no it's just such a beautiful moment so you have to work with a dog that wants to work with you and this is very important for people with um, somebody who's autistic is you've got to have the right dog not any dog and the dog has to have time out if the dog is tired if it's been challenging let the dog go away and settle so important I need to reset when I'm you know I can go to an event with Cray 2 whether it's but the Parliament, the House of Commons, I'm there for a short period of time and Kratu knows I need to go and he will take me to an exit and, and we will leave. He reads me, but I also, I look at him and I read him and you can see signs of stress, signs of tiredness and that's looking out for each other. And I think people really have to understand, learn about dog, dog body language so you can give your dog the care that it needs as well because it's not always easy for the dog yeah yeah that's so important to say just to rewind a second it's interesting you said about you know that you have that moment of con- connectivity with with Kratu you know when you're you know shrieking together and you're connected you know that's also something that's also beautiful but often we don't have as humans with other humans you know those true moments of no. connectivity no. you know and no. and that yeah. that that would also be something that would be lovely to see more of. Of course, I'm being very idealistic, but um, you know that 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 sounds really special. You know, uh, but can yeah. you imagine what people would say if they saw me rolling around the floor, shrieking and whistling? I'd be judged. Yeah, yeah, very much so. And I I don't quite understand everybody. There's a lot of pressure to take your mask off. So if I took my mask off and did that in a shopping place or did that outside I would disturb people and it wouldn't be safe so actually I'm going to keep my mask on and I will do that behavior when I'm comfortable in the privacy of my own home and where it's safe and that's really important for me I think everybody's entitled to do what they want but it's something I think you must be safe when you let your guard down and you take the mask off. And um, I used to sing to Casper when I rode him at the top of my voice. I'd be riding along country lanes, singing these songs and always high pitched songs. And then sometimes there'd be somebody cutting the hedge and they'd pop up and I'd be like, oh, no, no, no. They've heard my songs and it would, I'd be mortified. It, it yeah, it, it scared me when I realised somebody had heard me because I was being my true authentic self with no regards to anything. And I was I was in such a state of happiness and with him riding him in nature, it was like I could be myself. And it was the soul song. It was pure, beautiful, innocent joy. And um, then a human would pop up and it would be, oh, Mm, ruin the moment, ruin the moment. <laughs> yeah <laughs> typical typical humans yeah um, c- can I just ask one last question then I'll hand over to James I'm just curious because you said something quite profound earlier you said that you s- survived heroin addiction 
that you managed to pull yourself away from heroin, which we know is one of the most addictive and most powerful substances there are. And it doesn't sound like you had much in the way of, you know, kind of formal professional support or social support from, from people generally. I mean, may, you may have, you may want to clarify that, but um, can I ask whether you would attribute your connections with and your relationships with animals and your experiences with animals as part of that sort of success story? No, that was the animals were before and after the, the drugs. Um, that was choice. Um, it was also choice that I stopped. I made my mind up. I'm not using. That's it. Done and dusted. It no longer served me well. I had no interest. I have no interest now. And I never would. I changed my mind. It's just incredible that you could just, you have the mental. I did it with, I did it with crack. I did it with codependency. I did it with cocaine. Cocaine took longer because I actually liked it. Marijuana is one of the worst ones I had. Um, and I was such a light smoker. I just had one joint at night because it helped me calm down and ground. But that is just, I, I find that a very funny energy, a very unstable energy. And I didn't smoke the strong stuff. It was the old fashioned stuff. But that was my longest, um, I don't use the word addiction, attachment. But I was attached to it. I liked it and um, I used it and then I stopped and I would not touch it again now. Incredible. Fantastic that you you managed to sort of pull away from it and just stop like that. You know, it's just incredible mental strength and resilience and understanding. You know, I'm really amazed. Hi, Tess. Um, it's, it's amazing hear, hearing that there's so much to unpack in, in what you said. Um, I've kind of felt this similar to um what you're describing um when I was younger I was always in the garden and and uh with nature and that kind of thing and then had various animals in my life and was really attached to them last animal I had was a dog and which is really really special um almost like having a child and there's that kind of bond that um with animals that I didn't have with other humans except maybe very very like my mum and dad or someone most a lot of us share this kind of um the bond with nature and animals and i think it comes from nature not making demands on us i was thinking exactly the same thing it doesn't ask anything of us and it's our choice to interact rather than yeah it's it's just accepting it's acceptance isn't it it's beautiful and that that brings tears to my eyes because you've just nailed it and a lot of what you're saying made me think of um, a lot of people send us messages and asking for help with problems and things like that. And we can signpost people to various people that we know that can help with various problems. And some of the people that we've helped have been, um, they've been taken advantage of by other people, by neurotypical people, by non-autistic people. So there's a thing called mate crime where, you know, unfortunately people will pretend to be your friend and then take advantage of you. And um, I, I was just thinking that you don't get that with animals. And that's why I think a lot of no. people, no. a lot of people, the, the bond is so strong with animals because it's just honesty with them. It's, it's just about whatever you give, they give you back, you know. Yes, and, absolutely. And, and it's a place that I can be, my inner child can come out and I can be that little innocent test the the one before everything went pear-shaped and wrong and painful 
she can come back and she does and it's wonderful to be in a safe place where happiness and joy is and and that purity and innocence of being a child I love it absolutely love it I like skipping about and and singing and making my funny noises and smelling flowers and rolling on the ground with crater and I love doing all those things and I never feel grown up um, and I never want to be grown up and I don't really know what grown up is because I prefer to be in that place with in nature and with dogs and butterflies and I love it but I know we we have to do things we have to be responsible so then you step into the responsible I have to do this paying bills I have owed a lot of money before but then I realized I don't like debt collectors and I don't want red letters coming in so that's something it's learning to do those things it's I pay it all off that's it and just get things done and when you have those responsibilities that you take care of then you can have your time of whatever bliss you you follow whatever whatever path you go down that brings you happiness you can do that and it's that balance isn't it I think you have to have balance Absolutely. Um, I think, you know, getting in, ch- in touch with like your inner child and, and um, letting that child come out, if you like. And um, I grew up in a time where I think when you got to a certain age, you would, you know, put away childish things. I think that's a famous saying. But um, I learned to sort of bring out childish things in private because it for my own mental health, I needed yeah. to. And I think a lot of um, autistic people rely on that. And and it's just not, it doesn't matter if it's childish, you know, childish shouldn't be a dirty word, you know. No. You know, it shouldn't I've be anything stimmed. negative. Yeah, I don't know about stimming. It's, you know, I hid it. I couldn't do anything like that. And I mean, I've got my little hedgehog now. I like twinkles. I like light. And I have to have lots of rainbows and reflections. And I almost feel guilty if I look and... It's how we're programmed. We're really programmed not to, like you say, have childish things around. And um, it's allowing myself. Yes, I can. If I want to hold my hedgehog and look at the light reflecting off the rainbow bits, I'm going to do it because it makes me happy and it makes me calm. But I still struggle with some of the programming and letting it go that you shouldn't do things. And Yeah, I think that comes from uh, that there was until maybe 10 years ago, there was such a lack of understanding about autism and about all the different things that come with it. Like um, you're talking about stimming, you know, that that's being recognised as really important that um, people find ways to, to regulate, to um, use sensory regulation as a kind of tool to cope, you know, a coping mechanism. When I was growing up, it, it was frowned on, you know, it was people were told, not to, not to use their coping mechanisms and it was it was like they were using it to try and get people to conform yeah you know and it's only very gradually now that um people are showing that that those tools are really important for people's mental health james can i just say i i think what you said i think you said something really profound early, just a, a bit earlier when you said being childish is is a sort of dirty word you know childishness is a dirty word for for adults and I think you've now you've hit the nail on the head there. It, it, it is, isn't it? I mean, the, if I say to somebody, oh, it's very childish, automatically that person's going to be thinking that I'm criticizing them. 
So yeah. it's, it's got this, this sort of um, negative loaded uh, uh, emphasis to it. And that doesn't have to be the case. It's very interesting that, that we stigmatize the concept of being childish because it can be actually really good for your mental health, especially, you know, given your experiences test that you, you know, experienced so much trauma and that, that younger version of yourself never got that much time. So it isn't, you know, we, it's useful and therapeutic and beneficial for your mental health overall to allow that inner child to, to have that space yeah. and to come out, you know, and we shouldn't be stigmatizing that. But at the moment, that stigma is definitely there. That, I'm not entirely sure why, but it's for sure there. And I, I think that's something to, to highlight. I'm glad you did. Thanks. And something Jane said that I find incredibly painful and I've experienced is people using you for what they can get and uh, pretending to have a friendship. I think that's the lowest of the low and one of the most disgusting vibes. I, I just cannot understand. Sort of um, manipulative, insincere, opportunistic kind of thinking, isn't it? Where, you know, somebody seemed to be kind of vulnerable and easy to take advantage of and they've got something to offer. And sadly, they'll jump onto that. And animals will never do that, you know? <laughs> no, they don't. No, exactly. <laughs> We've got so much to learn from, from animals, honestly. Um, I will say, though, that if you've got treats, they will do whatever, you know, you get a dip, you get a, a dip, you know, a behaviour where my dogs can be suddenly so well behaved if I've got treats around. So, yeah, yeah. there is a bit of manipulation. And, and uh, but that's that's said very tongue in cheek. Uh, yeah, of course. Of yeah. course. Yeah. Um, I was just curious, uh, Tess, about something you said earlier about corruption in in the sort of whole industry of service dogs would you mind sort of elaborating that please well there, there were several cases of charities where they've had um they've trained supposedly trained service dogs and taken lots of money and the dogs were not trained um there's been a lot of that exploitation i'm an owner trainer it's a tough world the assistant service dog world here You've got warring amongst charities. Different ones want different control. I don't get it. Let's all work together. But you've got people. That's human. Whether you're autistic or non-autistic, people want control. A lot of people. And um, there's a lot of power stuff going on, power play. And I don't want anything to do with that. Kratu is of the standard. He's done public access. He's got the right obedience thing. So, and he is my auxiliary aid. I've got a full diagnosis. So he qualifies and I make sure my dogs um, are, they have to be able to cope with being out in public. And, you know, a lot of people want dogs in the workplace and dogs in everywhere. But how many dogs are going to walk in and start cocking their leg on everything? You've got to be able to have dogs of a standard of, you know, where they're going to respect their environment. And service dogs are trained to a very high level. They're not going to suddenly do inappropriate behavior or growl at somebody or you know whatever it might be so it there's a lot of hard work needs to go in and I'm also curious just more broadly as to your advice to people who are listening to this thinking they themselves may benefit from a service animal or perhaps their parents and they're thinking about their autistic child or autistic sibling whoever it is I mean what kinds of considerations should somebody thinking about going down this route make? Um, 
breeds, what breed you want that is going to, what do you want from your dog? Uh, I will give you some links afterwards um, so that you can get guidance for people because I know some very good people that I'm happy to, so you can give them the right pointers at where they want to go. There's some good information and there's some very good people and there are some very good organisations out there. I think you've got to realise it's a massive commitment and there's a lot of training. But as we're talking about resetting, and James was saying about being able to stim and reset and regulate, dogs need that as well. Um, I've seen a couple of things where people have said they want a, a dog to be at school with somebody all day. That's a hell of a lot for a dog to do. Where is the dog going to have its time out? What about the mental health for the dog? Who's handling the dog? How well do they know that dog when it's overwhelmed? And that's going to be constant attention from people. So there's a lot of consideration about mental health and dogs coping and what dogs have to do a task to help somebody. One of the things Kratu does for me is he's trained to put his paw, he does paw pressure on my foot. That's one of the, the parts of a service assistance dog is they have to have these tasks. And I find that very grounding. So who's going to train the dog? You know, does the family have the capacity to do it? Do they want to work with somebody, train it themselves? There's, there's so many things to take on board. How else does Kratu support you, Tess? You mentioned there, um, he, you know, he grounds you by placing his paw. Yeah. Um, he puts his ball around my leg he also gets me out of places um if we're if we go to events it's he's had enough and he watches me the minute I've had enough we're out he will get me to the exit and it's oh my god it's the most wonderful feeling it's he takes charge it's like I always call it um, soggy spaghetti. I go soggy spaghetti in my body and it's like, oh, it's too much. My brain's meltdown and and he's just right. We're going and there's no stopping him. He goes ahead and he gets me out and um, it's brilliant. It's just he guides me. He knows where we're going. We're going home and he will get me home. Yeah, the, the bit, one of the most beautiful things is um, PTSD nightmares. Um, it's, I have horrific, absolutely horrific ones. And um, there's a sensation as if somebody, the bed goes down next to me and there's no one there. And it's it's from the past things that have happened and I'm frozen with fear and I can't move and I can't speak. And it's, Kratu is there and his breathing that can help me just hearing his breathing and then he will he knows when I'm bad he comes and lies next to me and just that that warmth his breathing and he doesn't stay long I'm just back into the moment and he's gone but that's a lifesaver wow I, I'm just curious as to how you found uh Kratu, what the story there is oh well that's one of my lists, one of my autistic lists um, that, that I wanted. Um, I imagined what I wanted. No, not imagined. I, that's that's wrong because I don't imagine things. I know what I want. So um, this is the planning, the meticulous planning I do with everything. He had to be a large breed puppy because I had a wolf dog. 
Um, he had to, I wanted a clown. Um, I wanted a very gentle dog. Um, I wanted um, a gentle giant with a funny personality. And I can't believe I actually got everything on this list that I'd written. He would not be the dog he is now without me, autistic Tess. The way I am with him has helped program him. I train him with laughter. I find him incredibly funny. I mean, he steals a lot. He's a notorious thief. But if he wants it, he'll get it. We're, we're quite similar with some things. And if he sees me hide treats and they're in, in reach, he'll take them. And I, I find him funny. And I've, I've rewarded his behaviour with laughter. And he has been allowed to develop a, a huge personality and character, which living with a, um, a non-neurotypical person, but he wouldn't have been like that. This is my personality and um, his personality and the way we've grown together. And we're, we're quite colourful. We're quite big characters, but I love being me. And I know he loves being him because he's incredibly happy. So is this what, is this sort of linked to what you were saying before when I asked, you know, you, you said that if you're, if you're someone who's interested in getting a service dog, I think you said that you know, it has to be the right breed, you know? Yeah. Uh, so is this linked to, to that in that you, no. you have to think to yourself, what kind of breed is going to connect with me as a person? Yes, I didn't get Prey to to be a, a, an assistance dog. He was just going to be my best friend and companion. That all came, He's. you do not get a dog like Kratu if you want an assistance dog because they guard. Kratu doesn't guard. He's a one-off. He's completely unique. He is, um, he chose love over his natural way of being and he's never guarded, but his type does. I mean, you need to think about a dog that's more biddable, that's easier to train. That's why people go for Labradors and um, there's, but the spaniel crosses and but they're they're very hard a lot of these working dog types they do need to do things like use their nose do scent work do training for them that um they need to fulfill a purpose so there's you know people have pets but if you want a working type that you want that to be a pet your dog how happy is it going to be they have a purpose they have a job and if you're not fulfilling that, then there can be frustration. There could be behaviours you might not like. Very much the same as us. I know for a fact, if I don't walk enough, I'm going to be trouble. I get um, itchy scritchy, I call it. Very itchy scritchy. And then I get flicky. And then my legs go. And then I get scratchy and picky. And I have to do certain things to stop all of that. I don't like it. But I know that um, I, I need to, I can't just sit and do nothing. People say, oh, just chill, just go and lie down for a bit. I can't do that. That's horrendous. You have to do things. Mm. I can't just go to bed and do nothing. You know, it's interesting, as you're saying, you know, the dog has to be happy. It has to have a sense of fulfillment in its purpose. You know, it's just a reminder, isn't it, that dogs also have mental health. And, yeah. you know, yeah, so we have to be thinking about, their mental health and if their mental health and happiness is fulfilled then it's of course should stand to reason that they're going to be able to better perform their um, service uh, requirements and it's, it's, it may not be immediately obvious but 
when you sort of think it through and say it, it is obvious, isn't it? Because it, it applies to, to all of us. You know, we, we're just much better at doing whatever it is we have to do if we're happier and healthier and more self-centered. So why shouldn't that extend also to, to animals? So it's really good that you... Time mm. out. So what do they do for fun? If they're working mm. and they have a really high-pressure job, what are they going to do for fun? They need to go for a run. Um, I'm, I'm not an, I, I don't like balls, throwing balls for dogs because it causes lots of injuries. So, but some dogs love it, but you have to be careful with that because that's a, that's a, a whole nother ball game. <laughs> but you take it to, you know, take uh, my dogs go off lead in a secure field. I don't like dogs off lead coming up to my dogs and they're very big. And um, a lot of dogs don't have um, social manners and graces. And it's my dogs will not accept that. So instead of putting myself in a situation which I can't cope and I'll have a meltdown, I won't cope at all, I rent a secure field, job done. They go off lead. I've got no dogs coming up. I don't have to deal with any people. I find a lot of dog walkers, very hard work. My, my dog's all right. He's friendly. You're a stranger. I don't want your dog and I don't want you near me. Please go away. And... People are very bad at communicating out on dog walks. There's some terrible people with with their their attitude or, or their dog's about to attack yours. And it's like, oh, let them get on with it. No, thank you. But I don't want this. It's, it's There are some very strange people um, that are pet owners and some very worrying ones. Not easy out there taking a dog for a walk anymore. Was Kratu was a rescue dog, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Where, whereabouts from? He came from a Roma camp in Transylvania and um, he would have not had a good life if he would. have. He, he wasn't rescued by an organisation. That was my own personal. I have to do things myself. I'm not somebody that takes direction very well. Unless I really like you, then I'm not interested. It's my way. And because I get the job done and it gets done properly, <laughs> and I know how I want it done. And it's that detail, attention to detail. And um, this, again, is why Creative the way he is, because the intensity of the work up that I've done and finding the, the top, everyone has to be an expert. If I'm going to listen to you or learn from you, whether it's about ADHD or autism or PTSD, you've got to be at the top of your field. I don't go on Facebook and listen to somebody that, that might or might not know something. I will do research and I have to find good information from the best sources that I can. For a puppy education, they need to be exposed to cars and bikes and chickens and children and and all of this because their world is shaped in a few weeks their experiences of life and you know in a few weeks that's their their view of the world so by about three months that's how they're they're shaped how they're going to be so Kratu had um the first five weeks was a bit survival just survival but then it was happiness and care and 
he was looked after by my friend. And when he came to me, it was all about, I took him to um, so many places so he could experience things and watching him experience things. He loves it. He loves new things. He loves new people. Um, he's the polar opposite of me when it comes to that. But for him, I can manage, I can cope because I see the joy. He is joyful meeting people, but the joy have people have meeting him, he just makes people light up and they smile. And it's something so beautiful to see. I love it. Yeah. Just to pick up on, um, I think you said something like that you don't take direction easily because it's kind of about when you've got it in your head to get the job done and you know you can do it well. Yeah. That you don't want to, you know, you don't want to risk it, you know, someone else not doing it as well. Um, it's kind of how I approach a lot of the charity work that, that we're doing. Um, so, and, and Chris as well, I think, to, to a certain extent, that there are certain things that, because charity is so important to us and we take everything personally that we try and help people, that I, I know what, what, you, what you're saying when, um, you know, you say you, you want to get the job done well. Um, I absolutely understand that. Yes, it's important. And um, I've got very interesting ancestry, Prussian ancestry. My, my grandmother was a Prussian baroness and there were a lot of my family that were in the Prussian army and they were known for their meticulous planning and their execution, you know, of, of the detail. And I don't know if it's if it's in my blood. If it's my autism, maybe they're all autistic. Maybe that's, who knows? But I do know one thing. When I get it done, that I, I do a good job because I, I make sure and I don't leave any areas that are not covered. You have to do all of it. I think that's a lot of autism, though, as well. Yeah, certainly the, the planning side of things is essential for a lot of people, not just in daily life. I mean, I... I get a lot of messages, people asking, I make up schedules for people and things like that, just to help them out to plan their daily life and things like that, like young people, especially. And certainly if we're talking about more complicated things and things are important to us, yeah, then we, then we need to plan in a lot of detail. Yeah. Um, yeah. I have um, a lot of notes. I have lots of diaries. Sometimes I find there's a reoccurring thing on my list and it's like, I reach a point where I just have to do it because it makes me feel fantastic once I've done it. Yeah, there, there are some things easier than others, but you still have to address the difficult ones. Yeah, so sometimes I, I get what you're saying, that you have to kind of push yourself past. Yeah, dusting. I hate dusting. I can't see the point of it. I don't understand the stuff and it's everywhere and there's fur in my house. And um, I just don't get it. It's pointless. But I have to do it because I don't like the fur. But I can only do it now and then. And then I do everything. But I can't see the point and I can't understand doing something and then it's going to come back again. But then I don't understand. I don't want to live with piles of dust. But I hate it. I, I really struggle with that one. I think a lot of people do, a lot of autistic people especially do. Well, for me anyway, it's a, it's like my priorities, the, the important things, I, I don't want to leave them just for, you know, just for some housework or something like that. But the housework yeah. does need to be maintained. So I, I'm kind of the same that I do it all in one go. But it is about people's priorities. So this is more important to me. I'm enjoying yeah. this. 
much more important than dusting. That's, that's yeah. I'd rather yeah. I'd rather do something um, that's meaningful. Um, I must say, I do feel like Doctor Spock a lot of the time with my logic, and if it's pointless, I really don't understand it. And a lot of things seem pointless to me, and I think a lot of people waste a lot of time on pointless things. I think maybe. Well, in, in my case, I don't have a lot of visitors. I don't have friends that come to the house and things like that. And so I don't, I don't have that kind of sense of uh, that it's got to be like a show house or anything. Yeah. You know, it's just very functional. It's a roof over my head and over my son's head. Very logical. I like I like <laughs> I like things black and white, logical or illogical. And um, yeah, I'm the same. I, I always it's quite funny because I've, I have this strange idea that I'm going to entertain but I never do because I don't like people coming if they come then I want them to go because I'm not comfortable with it I I like being it upsets my routine I I like to I've got lots of rituals and things I I have to get my pajamas on very early on because I like to relax the dogs get fed at 6 30 and I want my dinner at the same time just after and then I read just before I go to, I read in bed for about half an hour and um, I have essential oils and all these little things make it nice and smooth and they work. But if, if anything disturbs that, if somebody comes and knocks on the door randomly at nine o'clock at night because I've left my lights on or something, the, the level of anxiety and stress is, is just horrendous. But then I can't get back on track. I find that very difficult. I like to um, keep my little routines. Yeah. I was just going to say with regard to what you said earlier, um, that, you know, you find some of the pointless stuff, you know, difficult to accept, you know, you know, it's true, isn't it? I mean, you know, we're we're dusting away or we're hoovering the the dust, but it's going to come back. Right. So why do we do it? And you struggle with that one. I find that really interesting because I just think that points part, I think partly I, I, suspect that it points to the fact that you're just a very um, uh, effective critical thinker you know you're critically evaluating everything that you're doing for the purpose of being efficient and true to yourself Uh, that's the sense that I get whereas I think a lot of people they're not like that you know we just a lot of people just go in uh, you know automatic mode you know they're on autopilot you know because that's what they've been taught to do and believe. And it's important to, they've been taught, taught to just hoover their house regularly and not to think anything of it or to question it because that's society and that's what's expected of us. Whereas of you, Tess, I think the, the thing that I love from, from you is that you're like, no, I'm, if, if it's not working for me, I'm not having it, you know? And, <laughs> you know, and, uh, you know, I know what works for me and, you know, if you don't like that, back off. And, and I just love that about you, you know, that you've, you've created this, this world that works for you. Of course, you can't, I suppose you can't completely control it, as you were saying about, you know, unpredictable events and whatnot. But, but you've got your, your coping mechanisms in place for those instances, I suppose. And so I just, I just really admire your, your approach to things, you know, your critical thinking, your sincerity, your your resilience, you know, you've, what you've gone through in your life and to, to sort of talk openly about it and to be where you're at today. I'm just really, uh, honestly, uh, I'd really admire it. Is there anything else anyone wants to to add? I'm aware- I, I would like to say one thing. I mean, when people say nice things about me, and this is going to make me very emotional, I mean, sometimes I sit there 
And I just think if it wasn't for Cray 2, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be so enjoying of life. He was the cherry on the cake. He brought unconditional love, which I'm a great believer of, of um, finding the right person, but um, finding unconditional love. And it's for me, not in the human world. That was a big shock that I had unconditional love and the programming kept saying, oh, but then maybe there's a man that will accept you. No, I've already got it. So I had to go away from the voice going, yes, but there's a man. You should be open to a man or a woman in your life, whatever whatever it is. But no, I already have the biggest gift of my life, which is unconditional love. And that for me was an incredible teaching that just because something comes in an unusual form, that was the thing I wanted. He was my heart's desire to be loved, accepted and to be understood. And I got it. I got my heart's desire. And how many people can say that? Not many. Not that many. You're right. You're absolutely right. It's, and it's great that you you sort of recognise that and you feel it and you're, you sound so sort of appreciative as well, which is so kind of you. Um Work in progress. I say I'm a grumpy, grumpy person a lot of the time, but yeah, it's that's that's me. I'm I'm not all um, I'm not love and light all the time. I get irritated a lot by people's driving, and I don't like being in a supermarket and lots of screaming children. And yeah, but then I come back to gratitude and um, being grateful for coming across people like you and James and all the people I meet on my journey, so many wonderful people now. And all of us can help make a difference to others because that's what I want to do. And that's why I open up and talk about what I've been through. Because if one person can be helped, one person can, my words can resonate with, then I've made a difference, then it's all worthwhile. Thanks so much for, for your time. And, and I'm sure it has uh, helped many people, um, that, you know, listening to you. And, and I should should also sort of point the book out. Um, thanks for highlighting that. So the book, your book is um, called Incredible Kratu, the happy-go-lucky rescue yeah. dog who changed the owner's life, his yeah. owner's life. Yeah. So and that came out earlier this year. Yes, but that was very hard to get that done. And the support of my publisher and and um, Lynn and everybody that helped make that happen, that was really hard for somebody to try and find my voice because it's so unique. And every time Lynn rewrote what I'd written, then I didn't like it and we had to rewrite it together because it's impossible to put my voice into words if you're not me. Yeah, must be very, very challenging, to be fair, uh, for the um, the author. So it sounds like you really co- co-authored it in, in many respects, ultimately. Yeah, yeah. All right, well, uh, for everybody listening, please check out uh, the book, Incredible Cray 2, The Happy-Go-Lucky Rescue Dog Who Changed His Owner's Life. And I can see it's on Amazon and I'm sure elsewhere. And it's got fantastic reviews. I can see that. So, um, yeah, check that out. And, um, yeah, once again, it's been so great having you on Tess, uh, is there anything else you wanted to ask, James? Uh, I just wanted to say a massive thank you to Tess because um, it's just been so wonderful to talk to you at last. And um, 
it's a pleasure. Thank you for having me here. It's lovely to talk and connect with you both. And um, you've inspired me to do more. So we will be in touch and I'll see what I can do because um, I'd like to offer more support. Wow. So thank you again. It's been absolutely wonderful and um, all the very best. And let's, yeah, let's talk soon. Yeah, I look forward to it.